Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Tech, Episode 6, Off With His Head, for the week of June 24th, 2010. This week, we'll be talking with special guest Dr. Doug Green, who uh, stirred up a bit of a hornet's nest here in uh, the Texas uh, uh, world of, of technology directors a while back, and and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as we go on. But uh, first, I just want to let you know that uh, we're actually recording this episode about a week early, so if some really dramatic piece of news happened uh, this week and I didn't know about it and we didn't mention it, it's not because we're morons, it's because we're time-shifting. Uh, at this particular moment in time, I am probably... Somewhere in Branton, Missouri, in shorts and a T-shirt, sweating more than a fat man should. <laughs> right, right. At, yeah, at least at the time they're listening to this. Yeah, right. So I'm, take, I'm taking my family on vacation, and uh, so we're we're recording this uh, early, and uh, shouldn't affect the uh, quality, I hope. But just to let you know uh, that that is the case. <clears throat> so just a little background. Um, Doctor Green uh, posted. A guest blog on the Dangerously Irrelevant blog, Scott McCloud's blog at dangerouslyirrelevant.org, entitled, Should We Get Rid of Technology Directories? D- Directors? And uh, if you happen to be a technology director, that's a bit of an incendiary title. And uh, so we're uh, on a, a list of uh, a statewide list here in, in Texas of technology directors uh, as part of the Texas Computer Educators Association. And it generated quite a lot of traffic on, on that list. And so we thought... Maybe we'll give Mr. Green, Dr. Green a call and, uh, have a little discussion right. and we were gonna maybe bring in somebody who might have a different opinion, uh, but, uh, that didn't quite work out for us. Right, uh, and that was it. I was watching the, uh, the, uh, the listserv light up after this article came out and, uh, watching all of the, the Texas technology directors go on and on about it and that's what got me thinking, you know, let me see if I can contact Dr. Green and get him on. And, uh, uh, so, uh, Dr. Green was, was, was wonderful. Easy to contact. He replied, uh, promptly and has ever since. He's been wonderful to work with. And, uh, uh, but, uh, when the, when I started, you know, I put out to the listserv, hey, y'all sound like you, you really have, uh, quite a bit of opinion on this, uh, matter and uh, a lot of input. Uh, who wants to come on the show? And, uh, the crickets started chirping. And, uh, it, it took me, you know, continually kind of goading that list service, you know, come on guys, you know, you're, you're, uh, all about, uh, stepping up and talking about this, but you, you know, I don't, I'm not getting anybody uh, to come on and, uh, uh, discuss this with, uh, Dr. Green. And, uh, uh, I ultimately ended up really pushing them and, and using the term, uh, that we like to use here in Texas, all hat, no cattle. And, uh, basically they're all talk and no action. Yeah. He says we like to use it. I've never heard it before. So yeah, Mark had never heard that. And, and he grew up in Texas. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. I don't know how that worked out, but so that would be like the John Travolta version of a cowboy. <laughs> all hat, no cattle. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you've got the, uh, you got the cowboy hat and the four wheel drive truck and you, you you live in the city and don't have any cattle <laughs> so uh yeah yeah uh but uh that finally you know i did get some people uh that said they would and then of course they would waffle and back out and everything else and uh so ultimately it ends up just being the three of us so we're going to carry that mantle as far as the uh, technology directors go 
Yeah, and so uh, just to give a little background on Dr. Green, uh, we'll bring him on here in a little bit, uh, but uh, he's been in this business since 1970. He was a high school chemistry teacher, and when these things called computers, microcomputers, I believe he refers to them as, that's a sort of an, a dated term, but uh, <laughs> when they came to the classroom, as, as happened in schools all across the country, it was the person who was least afraid of them, usually a science teacher or a math teacher, uh, who stepped up and said, yeah, I'll, I'll look at these things they seem to have a natural fit in the math and sciences and so they started uh doing that and uh and then he became um uh, more interested in in that and uh actually was a writer uh a part-time writer for infoworld magazine uh those of us who've been around for a while remember infoworld back in the days of print media which is pretty much dead these days but yeah. uh uh, he was a contributing writer. So this is a man who knows his stuff. Uh, he's got a doctorate in education theory and practice from Bingham, Binghamton University uh, in New York, uh, where he uh, did research on the use of Internet in the classroom. Uh, in 1993, he became a principal for a school, uh, a very poor school district. And in 2006, he dropped out for a while to... to um, uh, care for his wife who, uh, eventually died of, of Lou Gehrig's disease and, and now is a consultant, uh, for a number of school districts in New York State. And, uh, he has a blog, uh, that I'm sure he'd like us to post at drdougreen.com. So just a d- little background there. Yeah, this is a man who's, who's been in the business. He's a, he's an educator, um, He's been an educator longer than I've been alive, um, and he, he's uh, uh, in the tech thing. He obviously speaks with some authority if, if he was a columnist uh, for one of the major print magazines uh, back then. Uh, so um, when he says we have no need for tech directors, uh, that uh, carries some weight. And so we're right. going to talk to him uh, in a little bit about uh, uh, about what his reasoning uh, there is. Now, now, I'm a tech director. Right. And so he's basically saying that I don't have a reason to exist. Naturally, I disagree because it's what puts food on my, on my table. You know, it's a, it's a job I happen to enjoy and think I'm pretty good at. So, um, I don't want this to be a debate and I don't, I don't think Dr. Green does either, but it's going to be a discussion from two different sides. He's going to be yeah. advocating, uh, essentially my firing and, uh, I'm going to make a case for my job and, uh, we'll see what happens from there. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a lot of wiggle room and of course, uh, We'll, we'll post the, uh, the link to the actual blog post there, uh, and, and it's definitely worth a read, but I think there's a lot of room for clarification there, so hopefully we can accomplish that in this episode. All right. And, uh, we'll see if Dr. Green is ready. Hello, Dr. Green. Welcome. Hi, Mark. Hi, Sean. Uh, we're just gonna have just sort of a free roaming discussion here. Um, just to give you some background, I am a technology director, uh, at a school and have been for, uh, going on 15 years now. Uh, so, uh, when you say, should we get rid of tech directors, you're talking about firing me. So naturally, I don't like the sound of that too much. Uh, so. <laughs> tell me about your school. Uh, we're a very small school district in, uh, in northeast Texas. Uh, we're about 600 students from, uh, uh pre-K all the way up through the 12th grade. Um, when I first got here, we were uh, running uh, about eight Apple IIs, and that was our computer science program. And uh, over the years, we've grown that, and we now have about a 1,000 devices. We actually have more devices than we have students. Um, and uh, in our high school, we have a one-to-one uh, program where uh, every classroom is a lab and every lab is a class. Uh, every student sits down at a, a full desktop computer with a with a 19-inch monitor in front of them. And um, so we're we're pretty tech-heavy here. Yeah, that sounds pretty innovative. Uh, I, I, 
you come from a teaching background? No, sir. Uh, I'm a pure tech. Oh, okay. Uh, that's not the, the typical uh, path to positions such as yours that I've seen. Uh, but, you know, it, there's all... It's well, just about the kind of path you can imagine. And that, that jumps to, I guess we will get right to that point because, uh, it was one of the, the last points, uh, in, in the show notes, but I guess we'll jump right to that is, uh, you know, defining that position and, uh, cause Dr. Green, I think you're right that there's a lot of tech directors out there that, uh, originated from, uh, educational background or, or you know, professional educators, um, so, uh, you know, what's your experience there? Mark, same thing. You know, what's that ratio done over the years? Is it starting to migrate more towards tech professionals or, um, is there one way better to do it? You know, uh, that, that's really where I, I'm kind of wondering, you know, what, what should that definition be and which way should it go? Yeah. Well, I, I started, uh, back in the seventies. So I was there when we first brought actually a hard copy terminals into the school. Uh, that were connected to many computers somewhere. And, uh, shortly after that, the first Apple IIs came in, I think about 1979 in my case. And we, our, our, I started teaching computer science in 1976. We had like a single computer. I, I had one computer and 36 kids. <laughs> and I was the smartest adult in terms of the computer, uh, situation because I had, learned from the brightest kids who knew more than I did. And at, at, at the time there was a district nearby, a much bigger district that was, that had the vision that we, we wanted like a, you know, a chief information officer type, you know, we want to bring an administrator in who will be part of the superintendent's cabinet who can kind of guide us into this era. And they, they found me and made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So in 1982, I, I took over for a district of about 6,000 6, kids and I had both the instructional and administrative computer use because back then they were just starting to put terminals on the desks of secretaries and administrators. So I, I had, you know, both sides of it, including, you know, payroll accounts receivable, mark reporting, scheduling and instructional use. And so we were just sort of feeling our way. And, uh, I was the guy kind of guiding that. And. In my area in New York state, uh, other districts started doing the same thing. Typically they were pulling teachers out of mostly math math and science classrooms who kind of like dug into the computer beat and, you know, knew enough. And back then your typical, you know, superintendent was a former phys ed teacher. Not that I have any disrespect for those guys, <laughs> but what they wanted was somebody, you take care of those computers, Doug, you know, so that I don't have to worry about them. Yeah, in, uh, earlier on in the show introduction before we, uh, brought you in, <clears throat> I made, uh, essentially that same, uh, assertion that, uh, in the early days, it was usually the math teacher or the science teacher because these, these new microcomputers had the, the best fit in those sort of areas who, who sort of grew into that position. And it was, like you said, handle it here. You take care of this. And it was essentially the person who was least afraid of them, uh, got elected to do the job. I know when I came here, the person who had sort of been the, the technology coordinator at the time was a, uh, a high school counselor who, uh, you know, knew more than, most everybody else and so that made him the technology director and uh so i understand that uh your experience and i would i would say that it is largely a universal experience that uh uh people um 
uh, who were the, the pioneers in this. I'm, I'm going to make a guess by your bio that you're probably 20 to 25 years older than I am. Uh, I'm 38. Um, so, uh, I'm 63. Okay. <laughs> I nailed it right on. Yeah, we're, we're, we're years. babies. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you're, you're a generation ahead of me. And, yeah, and I was, I was punching holes in cards right. when I was in college. Right. And I, and, and, you know, I'm just young enough to at least know that that existed. You know, uh, people older don't even, uh, people younger than me don't even know what you're talking about there. Right. Uh, so I would say that, that you are probably correct that most people your age and, and within, you know, 10 years of you probably had that experience, but it's my experience that people my age and younger are pure techs in most of these school situations and not former, uh, teachers. Uh, at least that's sort of the new generation that are coming in and replacing, uh, those who, who are retiring, uh, sort of. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, moving on, it's, it's no longer reasonable for a, a, anyone to expect that a teacher, you know, or an administrator is going to understand all this network architecture stuff. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I grew into it, so I, I was able to learn about it as it came into uh, the schools. But nowadays, it's just forget about it. It's like expecting a teacher to understand how how the phones or the you know the TV network or the gas company works. Right, right. You and know, you, it's, a, it's a utility. You know, it, you mentioned that in your uh, in your post on uh, dangerously irrelevant. Uh, one of the top uh, sections there was things have changed, um, yeah. and so uh, let's talk about that a little bit. You um, seem to advocate outsourcing um, all of your support and procurement. Am I reading that correctly? Well, uh, at least where I come from, uh, I think we're lucky. Uh, in, in New York State, we have. Uh, large regional information centers scattered around the state. So every school has a regional information center that uh, they can purchase services from. And the one in my area happens to be extremely innovative when it comes to providing uh, the kind of support you would want for uh, school districts. So, I mean, we're actually outsourcing to them. And the, the game is, is made e- a little bit different by the fact that anything you buy from these consortiums that service schools it is advantaged because you get um, you get a kickback. You know, you're incentivized to purchase these services because you get extra aid by doing so. Uh, but in, in our case, or in the case of the district I used to work for, we say, okay, you know, make sure that the the plumbing works, that the you know the bandwidth is there, and that you know you you staff us with enough enough technicians to keep the computers working and then you know in the district we'll we'll, you know worry about the instructional piece again with you know support from your guys because instead of hiring full-time people to support the instructional piece we could bring them in as needed okay well and we run uh and mark of course you know more about this than i do but we run a similar situation right. here we in call Texas. them regional service centers um, that sounds right which never provide any actual services uh, they're just regional centers okay uh, <laughs> that's well, i mean even in new york state i've seen situations where uh you know you've got some entrenched tech director who will be saying things like you know we're better than you know the, they're called boces board of educational cooperative services but right we're better than them because what they're trying to do is prevent the district from going through them to do all the support so that they can hang on to their job. Uh, <laughs> that that sounds strangely familiar, but the, the motivation might not be the same. <laughs> but, right. 
Well, but you know, I think I, if you if you got really high functioning tech directors who really get instructional uses of technology, I would like to see them become the next ass- assistant superintendent for instruction. I don't want to throw them under the bus. Well, I I think we tend to lean another way is that there really should be a separation there. Uh, that uh, you know, your te- your tech director really shouldn't be making uh, decisions that influence the uh, the curriculum or or how it's uh, actually implemented. Yeah, uh, I've seen districts that have a person such as yourself who takes care of the technology, and then the instructional integration is done by you know from the superintendent on down, right. you know, by way of an assistant superintendent, perhaps. So and that that can work. So when you say um, that technology directors should go away, uh, describe for me the man that shouldn't be there anymore. Um, what What is the guy that you don't like, and what should he be replaced well, with? It's, it's not that I don't like anybody. You see, what, what happened uh, is that uh, a lot of kingdom uh, building took place. You know, people, like, in order to make sure that their jobs are secure, said, well, gee, I'll, I'll, I know, I'll, I'll be responsible for the network architecture, the technicians, and the instructional integration, and uh, oh, the libraries and the telephones and you know and all that kind of stuff. And there, I mean, instructional integration is tough enough all by itself, rather than hanging all the rest of that stuff on this on the same desk. My my other concern is that with on the instructional side, if it's seen as one person's job, that's no good because it needs to be seen as everybody's job. Uh, and I've seen situations where. In, People were like more or less enabling by by doing things for people they should be doing themselves. Well, and that brings up uh, there was a section in there where you detail that, and uh, I think that's a a good point to address. Uh, uh, we've done something similar here just in the last uh, six months. Uh, uh, came up with a, a technology committee, and it's primarily teachers. And uh, literally, we are not allowed to. We are part of that committee, but not allowed to speak. We're really advisors. Uh, so, <laughs> oh dear! But you know, really, not a bad model. That's as it should be. I think you know we we're there to make sure they don't make any stupid choices. And uh, you know, uh, one of the things that you talk about is the 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 assistant uh, print superintendent or whatever in charge of that. And, in my experience, and I, and I think would be echoed across the land out there, when teachers and administrators are in charge of purchasing, they make uninformed, uneducated choices, and and they need an advisor. Uh, and maybe your uh, uh, BEOC is is uh, what's uh, supposed to do that. But that's sort of my job here. My job is, you know, they uh, some salesman is going to come in and say this this. Um, Software is the savior of all education, and it only costs five thousand dollars. And and the superintendents and the principals look at it and think it's wonderful. And then I come in and say, well, let's talk about the twelve thousand dollars worth of hardware I'm going to have to purchase to make it run. And so somebody in there has to have that knowledge. They have to have an idea before you can make a full, uh, fully informed decision. And uh, I think I think if I'm reading you correctly, we agree that uh, that's too much to be on one person's plate. The the instructional side. Is, is of course paramount. That's what we do in schools. We instruct. But you have to have, you know, just like you, you, uh, every school district has a director of maintenance who, who, uh, patches walls and, and probably, uh, 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 somebody who maintains all their buses and, and vehicles. You've got to have that guy on hand who knows how to turn the, the wrenches. Uh, yeah. and, and, and he's got to have some authority. He can't be, uh, a, a janitor level position. He's got to have, uh, you know, a sort of a cabinet level position to have some authority. Uh, yeah, it's, it, that's got to be parked somewhere. Uh, 
it, it can be part of like the, we, we have an assistant superintendent for administration who is the guy that is responsible for, you know, the buses and the maintenance. And that same person could re, be responsible for the network infrastructure. Now, software is a whole nother deal because well, what, what I see happening there sometimes is like, People pick the tools rather than figuring out what they want to do first. PowerPoint's a pretty good example. People like, oh, hey, PowerPoint exists. I know. Let's get all the kids to do PowerPoint you know, <laughs> presentations and end up with a lot of a, a lot of really low resolution stuff. If you compare the, a kid's PowerPoint presentation to a paper they might have written, there's way less content. You will get no argument from me there. Amen. If PowerPoint went away, nobody here would would complain. Well, and that's just one example. Not not in this room. (laughs) We want to do instructionally, and then maybe guys like you, whether they're in-house or, or, you know, at at a local service bureau, can can try to find the the appropriate software for the job. Right. so, so I, maybe there's a, a definition of terms that needs to, to take place. When I say technology director, um, I'm, I'm thinking, um, Pure your hardware guy, your, your, your network weenie, the, the wizard, as you referred to him. Um, in fact, that's, that's one of the sayings I say around here when people, uh, uh say, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. I say, well, when, when the wizard is, isn't visible and, and all is right in Oz, you know, cause you only see the wizard when there's a trouble. Uh, right. so I think you have to have that guy. I think you're, uh, being irresponsible as a district if you don't have that guy on hand who can make those, uh, those decisions and respond appropriately who's leading that team of tax and depending on the size of your district if you're a you know a hundred thousand student district obviously you need a, a a large staff of tax to handle that uh or you know if you're outsourcing that and i'm not a big fan of outsourcing but if there's if there's a good outsourcer that can do it somebody's got to be that informed liaison back to the school somebody who knows everything about the school systems and you can't expect somebody who you're outsourcing to know your stuff intimately because he has to know everybody's stuff, and it's just not going to happen. You need somebody on hand who knows your stuff intimately and can react accordingly. That that's my position on that. Do you have a a comment on that? Well, you said you got six hundred people in students in your district. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, let me let me think of it a little bit. Uh, you could have somebody in house such as yourself that does that, and it you know, and it all depends on the talent you have. Uh. Well, and and I'll throw I'll throw this in there because it, our situation is somewhat unique, or at least we like to think of it that way. But uh, I think the reason, it, and I'm a little bit off to the side of this, uh, but I, I see the reason that we've been able to get where we are, and I've just come in in the last couple of years into the equation is because we're doing that because we have the mark you know, uh, here, uh, doing things and that only somebody of that level expertise could have gotten this district to the level that it is with, uh, I think we're, we're highly advanced with our access of, of technology. Um, so yeah, you, you sound atypical, right? And, and I guess that's, that's one reason that I guess this was so close to our hearts. And, uh, I've certainly, I've read your, your post several times and, uh, uh, I, I thought there was a lot of area or a lot of room for clarification there because we certainly agreed with uh, some statements that you, you had in there. And then, of course, we wholeheartedly disagreed with some. Um, uh, and, and that's based off of our perspective. Uh, well, how many technicians do you have? Oh, you're talking to them. Yeah, you're talking to our tech department. 
Well, I mean, you've got like one to one computer for right. every kid or or more. Right. There's two of us. Right, and it ke- it keeps us busy. <laughs> There's yeah. no doubt about that. So you're you're sort of part management and part labor. Uh, pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm more of the labor. Mark's more of the management, and we we cross over. Yeah, uh, and if you do your management right, you don't need as much labor. Um, you know, if you if you do all your homework and you and your pre work ahead of time, we have a lot of automation that we do here that I, that I think a lot of schools uh, could and should be taking advantage of the the force multipliers out there that make one guy into into th- uh, three or four guys. But yeah, on the daily basis. We have, uh, you know, me, I, I'm the, the backroom guy. Sean's the, the customer support guy. And, uh, and during the summer, we bring in a student aid for, you know, minimum wage for three or four weeks to, to help out with some of the grunt work. Um, and again, you know, you, you, you say we're atypical and you're right, but, you know, that, that's sort of the goal, right? Shouldn't you strive to be atypical? Uh, and, and. Well, it and, sounds like you're innovative, uh, as well, given the density of devices per child, uh, we, so. we certainly hope to be, and and I and my assertion is that the reason you don't have that level of innovation is because you have career teachers who have been handed technology as another of their tasks, and that as more and more people like me get onto the field uh, and are unleashed to do what we do, we will no longer be atypical. I, I think yeah. well, I think that uh, that the the problem is not that we need to to get rid of the tech director, but redefine his role. Let me give you the model that I'm a little more familiar with from the district that I, I know the best. They got about 6,000 kids. And there's a, you know, the bigger schools have their full time technician and the smaller schools, you know, will share one. And it's sort of a technical staff so they can go back and forth depending on where they're needed, depending on what's breaking or needs to be done. And on the instructional side, that comes from the superintendent's office on down and there are teachers in each building or each department that like gets stipends to do, you know, support with their colleagues. And then when, when they need some kind of like, uh, you know, staff development stuff, they'll bring that in from the local, uh, you know, support center, uh, on an as needed basis. Uh, so all of the network infrastructure and fixing is kind of farmed out to the service center. And the good thing about that is, like, when, when you're paying someone to, to keep things running, they keep running. Uh, they, they bring in whatever they've got to do to make that happen. And so the focus in the, in the district side is, is, all right, so what can we do to leverage the technology to make instruction better? In your case is very different than, than that. And I think there's a lot of different models that can work. I just wouldn't want a district to think there's a model they should be stuck with in the this particular district had a technology director who was uh, who, who retired, if you know what I'm saying, because the position was eliminated. And I think what they've got now is is doing a much better job. Uh, nobody throws good talent underneath under the bus, and I, I've seen situations where there's lots of different models. And if you've got good talent there, you'll figure out how to keep them and how to make sense out of what they're doing. 
Yeah, and I guess sort of the goal here that uh, that we had hoped to uh, in this discussion is is define the ideal model. And and I recognize that there's the economy of scale. Uh, like I said, we're 600 students. The the district you're familiar with 6,000, and there are districts out there with 60,000. And so there there's well, and there's there's relative budgets too. There's rich right. districts and poor districts. And uh, just so you know, Dr. Green, we we probably well, we definitely follow into the poor district category. Uh, so uh, there again is what makes it, I think, a little bit more remarkable and I'll, I'll give Mark the pat on the back because this is really a product of, of, of his work over the years but uh, taking a very minimal budget and uh, being able to get us where we're at today so uh, what's the percentage of free and reduced lunch eighty uh, percent okay yeah that's that's on the poor side all right yeah well every district has a superintendent every building has a principal and beyond that the the exact you know uh, structure of uh, administrative support and teacher support is going to be idiosyncratic to every district. And the tech, the tech director or the, you know, technology support on the hardware and software side and the instructional side is going to be as unique as the district. I can, I can certainly see where, you know, it, it depends on the situation. Uh, obviously, a small enough school district or a district that's, uh, you know, just doesn't really have a whole lot of money. I mean, it's like it's like in the business world, you know, you may not have the scale to support that position or that level of a, a, a of a, a a person, you know, a, a true techie. Um, so obviously, there's that uh, kind of low end of the spectrum, but uh, we're pretty pretty low on the spectrum, and I, I think we still could make a very solid case for how well it's worked out. Uh, I'm sure you can, position. and it would also be nice if they let you talk, because uh, oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes, like you can un- unleash some innovative ideas if you let people who are a little not so close to the situation, you know, in on the conversation. I, I have scars on my lip from biting, <laughs> from biting my yeah. lip. But like te- we- I- I've, I've heard te- technicians would come to me, and they would tell me stuff they'd see in the classroom, because when they go into classrooms, there are flies on the wall. Right, and they would see stuff a principal would never see because you're familiar with Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, when the principal walks in, the environment changes, but not when the technician walks in. So they would end up seeing stuff like with teachers and kids and technology use that would be very valuable to harvest for the instructional people. Well, and that's one. We certainly see the value in not speaking in there. We we don't want to. influence uh instructional uh you know just the curriculum uh, or unduly influence it we want the the professional educators to really be making the core of those decisions uh there are times when we have to kind of sheepishly raise our hand and you know where we really think they're going and say, uh, oh by the way that's not possible yeah or or, or running towards the cliff you know if the, yeah. the idea is horrible observations uh, yeah, so, you know, there, there are those times, but, uh, we certainly see value in really, uh, having as minimal an impact as possible. And I think that brings up a great, or, you know, getting back to that, uh, the, the whole kingdom mindset. And, you know, we speak out against that, uh, often is the tech director that sits up there and says, it's my network and it's, uh, you know, these are my computers and, uh, kind of has that mentality. And, uh, uh we at least, uh, wholeheartedly yeah. disagree with that yeah I, i've seen that type right and I, I think those are the 
the twenty percent that give the eighty percent the bad name. Maybe maybe I'm being uh, uh, overly optimistic there, but I think most. Yeah, of I us think twenty percent like might be a low number. <laughs> <laughs> but power corrupts, right? Right, and absolute power is kind of neat. Um, <laughs> what uh, what I tell people, in fact, we have a new employee that just started today, and and I I gave her the speech. I say, you know, we are your servants. You tell us what you need, and we find a way to make it happen. And uh, and I think the the mentality that you describe is totally the other way around. Is is the tech director de- defines uh, what they will allow to happen, uh, and and you know when we when we have these curriculum meetings and and a teacher says you know I, I need X Y or Z is my job to find out how to provide them that or the yeah. alternative to it. Why well, I, I always use the term customer when I was talking about the people you know that I was providing services to, and the, the more people in education start thinking that way, the better. Right. Yeah, customer service is a phrase that Sean and I throw around here in our office yeah. every day. Because well, that is that's, what we do. And that's my professional background in, yep. the, in the finance industry before coming to education was uh, was uh, heavily on the customer service side. So uh, I, I'm just used to that. You guys have to support administrative computer use as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the way we say it, if electrons run through it, it's our job. Uh, be it uh, computers or yeah, <laughs> right. uh, VCRs that blink 12 o'clock, uh, you know, whatever it is, it's us. Still have them? Uh, one or two. I'm yeah. tr- I just yesterday was trying to talk our football coach off of VHS, <laughs> stepping into the digital age. <laughs> you have many smart boards? Uh, actually, I'm not a fan of smart boards. We don't have any. We use the little tablets, which cost a third as much and do the same functionality. Um, and so we, we, well, uh, and let's, let's be honest. I mean, we, we really can't afford them anyways. Well, that's I mean, true. Even if I did like them, we couldn't afford them. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I've seen districts that put one in every classroom and, uh, you know, some teachers make really amazing use of them and some teachers don't. Right. Yeah. You know, one of my rules here is when a, when a principal or a, or a teacher uh, comes to me, of course, not the superintendent, I have to do what he says, but, uh, when, <laughs> when, when one of these people comes to me and says, um, you know, I want a smart board, uh, one of the things I say is, okay, show me how you're going to use it. I, I want some documentation that shows how you plan to use it and how we're going to, uh, uh, assess effective use, you know, in year two and year three. And once you can show me that you've planned that, I'll do everything I can to make that happen. But I'm not going to buy you the nearest, uh, the newest play pretty because you saw it and you thought you liked it. You can find that in your instructional budget. The coolest use of smart boards I've actually seen is in math class. Yes. Uh, you've seen uh, graphing calculators? Oh, absolutely. Well, imagine a graphing calculator the size of a wall. Right. And we, we do that with our projectors. We do the same sort of yeah. things. Exactly. All right. Uh, and another issue is uh, involves the diffusion of innovations. This is something I studied as part of my doctoral work. And there's there's the you know the innovators and there's the early majority and so on. And what you got to watch out for are situations where you got some some teacher who's doing something with technology that's really you know eye dropping or jaw dropping, and and you think, oh boy, we'll just spread this around the school. But with some of these teachers, the other teachers will say, well, you know, so and so can do that, but I never could. What you really got to look for is the innovative teacher that other people can follow. They're called change agents, and. Uh, if you got somebody who, who you think is is doing something pretty neat, and the other teachers say, "Yeah, well, if she can do it, I can do it." That's when you really got something. 
Right. And, and every school has those and, and, yeah. uh, you, you just got to find them and, and, uh, uh, sort of fan the flame a little bit. Absolutely. Um, but again, that's one of the things that I see as the instructional technology. I, I think that instructional technologists should be a teacher with one foot inside technology, like your background, who, who you are, you are more teacher than you are technologist, uh, based right. on your resume. And, and so you are the perfect person to bridge that gap. Uh, but you've got to have somebody at the back door who is more technologist than teacher who, yeah. who can who can bridge the other gap. But when I was the tech director back in the 80s, I was crawling under desks and, and like I was actually, you know, clipping the ends off wires to create, mm-hmm. you know, the things that would actually plug into things and experimenting with all sorts of tech stuff. And I was I was writing programs for right. people to. You know, calculate GPAs and whatever. Well, and and one of the the lead uh, sections in your blog title there is that things have changed, and uh, yeah. um, and while while you um, uh, go at length to talk about some of the things that changed, I, I think you're overlooking some of the other things that have changed, and, and that like uh, in your world there was no difference. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, please don't think I'm talking down to you. It's just kind of a, a difference That's of perspective. Okay. Um, is uh, in at your in your time when you were uh, in the middle of all this there. There was no difference between the programmer and the user. They were the same person. Like you just said, you wrote the programs you needed. Uh, today, technology has become commoditized, and, and most users, uh, the vast majority of users, have no idea how to code. They simply buy something in a cellophane package or, or download it off the Internet, and, and that's how they see technology. And I think that um, whereas... When everybody was, every user was a programmer and every programmer was a user, there was less need for, uh, the, the, the geek on staff. Yeah. But I think today well, it's critical. I'll, I'll, I'll give you something that's happened as a result of that change. Uh, I've seen situations in schools where, you know, t- teachers teach kids how to use particular software packages rather than trying to teach them some concepts. Uh, a good example is the art department. You're, yeah, you're leading right into that. That's perfect because I, I wanted to discuss that a little bit. So uh, I've go seen ahead. Art departments where they offer courses in Illustrator and Photoshop. I mean, my God, teach them art, please. Right. You know, the kids can learn Photoshop on their own. You know, they they can give them an online course and they'll learn it in a month on the side. Uh, so that, that's another thing you got to watch out for. Well, and that that kind of got to my question with regards to that was, uh, you know, do you see that as uh, should that be in the K through 12 environment? I mean, Photoshop certainly is an industry tool, and uh, you know, at some point, if if these kids want to move on to careers uh, in, in that arena, they're going to need to know how to use those yeah. tools. But uh, does that fall into the K through 12 environment, or should they be learning that uh, when they move on to college? Well, I, that, that's one of the things where they should be learning online. Uh, you know, I, I think we need more online options for kids as they move through high school, uh, rather than just being stuck in the, oh, I must go to this class 45 minutes a day, five days a week. So are you talking about like a Moodle, uh, where they're, the, the school's offering up, uh, yeah. I mean, here, here's where you go to learn Photoshop, kid, you know, and then you'll be able to use it wherever you want to use it in any course you take. You know, it's, well, it's kind of funny and you know, like, it used to be that in kindergarten you, you get your own box of crayons, and somewhere along the line they take the crayons away from you. And that that's not right. I mean, we should let kids use whatever artistic skills they've got in every course they, they ever take. And if they need if they need to learn something, we don't want to think, gee, how do we cram this into a one-semester or two-semester course? 
Uh, well, just to, to give you a little of my experience on that, uh, several years ago we introduced a tool called the GIMP. It's an open source alternative to, to Photoshop. Uh, and, uh, the art teacher at the time was in every way an art teacher uh, and in no way a technician. Um, it was a struggle to get this this woman to do her electronic attendance, which was a matter of clicking either A, T, or P uh, on the box for absent, tardy, or present. Um, and, and so I went into her classroom, and I did uh, two days, 40 minutes, Instruction, lessons. instructions on the GIMP, and mm-hmm. then told turn them loose on being artists. Yeah, and and so the tool was there. It was made available, and it was here's the paintbrush, and here's the palette tool, and 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 we go from there. And they never had any more instruction in the tool. Just like we don't teach kids how to use pencils after about kindergarten, right? We do teach pencil, but then we forget about it, and it becomes an invisible technology. You just you teach math, and they use the pencil to te- to do math, and so that's um. I think the ideal scenario is is technology should become invisible, so invisible that that when you uh, need to create something, you just open PowerPoint to do it, or you open uh, Microsoft Office to do it, or you open Photoshop or whatever the tool is, and you're not focusing on the tool, you're focusing on the task at hand. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that an art class shouldn't be a, a, an 18 week class in Photoshop, but no, but it is in some places. And they also put that in the technology department as well. Well, and that's, I'm curious, Dr. Green, uh, of course, you're in New York and, uh, down here, I know, well, this year they're, uh, they're doing some, uh, realigning or, or redefinition of, of some of those courses and what qualifies as, uh, as a professional education or, uh, Kate, career and technology. Right. Education. Right. Yeah. Uh, so some of that's being reclassified just this year and, uh, we're watching the, the educational staff, you know, try to adjust, uh, the coursework to, to reflect that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just curious how it is up there. Uh, Mark, maybe you can speak to that, uh, down here in Texas. But, uh, you know, because I would think that depending on what the requirement is for the class, that maybe one might be more, uh, heavy on learning the technology and really mastering the technology. And one, uh, another one would be more, uh, on, based on theory, you know, talking about art. Uh, so you, you might have a certain class that's, uh, more centered on the tools and then another one that's actually more on art theory. Um, do you have any kind of, uh, divergence there of the, the definitions within even just that one scope? Well, I, I've seen both ends of that spectrum. I, you know, there's got to be a, an emphasis. I would want it to be on the concepts of whatever field they're dealing with. Uh, my daughter went through high school through an art department that didn't even have a computer. And now she's a professional artist in New York City. And, you know, she didn't have any trouble picking up the software when she needed it. But uh, did, now did that did that hamper her as far as because, uh, I mean, now if you were trying to get a, a job as a professional artist, I would, you know, uh, well, graphic artists, I guess, would be uh, if you couldn't list that on your resume, uh, you'd be hard well, pressed to find a job. It, it, when you get to the job part, you need to know how to use the software, right? But if you're if you're in the educational loop, uh, and you can show somebody a, a wonderful, you know, hand drawn portfolio, they're not going to worry about the fact that you haven't learned the software yet. You can pick that up in no time. Well, and I would agree, especially the the. With every generation that comes along, they pick it up quicker and quicker. Uh, I have no doubt that my three-year-old will, by the time she's seven, know how to <laughs> how to negotiate uh, the GIMP or Photoshop or anything but, like that. But will, you, but will you give her a cell phone? 
Uh, Mark and I have had that discussion several times. We both have young young daughters. So <laughs> yeah, fifty eight percent of twelve year olds have cell phones now. Yeah, my my daughter, who's eight, just asked me last week if she could have a cell phone. I said, "There you go." I said, "In seven years, when you're thirteen, I'll get you a cell phone." Okay, thirteen. Yeah, that's that's the the arbitrary limit that I've picked that probably won't hold up, but that's where I'm standing right now. No, it'll probably be whenever she spends a serious amount of time, like. Not with you guys. Like right. she, she's off somewhere doing something. Middle school seems to be the current drawing line for that right. technology. But I, strangely enough, I, I was, uh, last week, I think I mentioned this in one of our conversations. There was an altercation at one of our local high schools and it, it drew some police. And so I went on to Facebook and followed a, a string of comments from kids at the scene with their handheld devices that told me more than any of the news media knew. We started getting off the subject here. But, yeah, how about handhelds in the classroom? Do you think, you know, we might get to the point where you give the kid the handheld, which which can can include the curriculum? Well, and here I'll interject uh, into that same uh, topic line uh, because I think it's interesting – the pure educators seem to be so much more gung ho on, uh, well, particular handhelds, uh, to be sure, you know, the, the you can iLine, say iPad, yeah, right, iPad, iPad, iPhone, i, i, anything. Um, and there seems to be, uh, you know, I hate to use the term, but it, it's a, like a lemming effect. You know, it's just all, you know, the entire educational world is running towards these devices. And we're seeing posts on our, and this is a technology, uh, listserv, uh, give me a reason for why, why I can use, uh, or how I can use the iPad in the classroom. And it's like people are looking and searching for reasons to use these devices. Um, we are, are, you know, ourselves are just really hard pressed for, uh, any really true valid, uh, reason for, uh, one, it's a it's a pretty good outlay of money. Right, it's just like you said with PowerPoint. Uh, it's uh, when when you get into the mobile space, the handheld devices, uh, people often pick the tool and then try to figure out a way to use it. Uh, I would much rather see somebody come to me with a good, uh, solid uh, plan for how to use it before we pick the tool. And and just you know, in my personal opinion, and nothing more, there's not a handheld device yet that is ready for classroom use. Uh, in five to ten years, absolutely there will. Be be, uh, but we're just not there yet. The 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 laptop computer, or in, in my case, I think the desktop computer is still the best classroom tool uh, for for general use technology. Yeah. Now, are you guys wireless? Uh, no, we're we're desktop. You're okay. So you got wires running around the place. Uh, yeah. Well, they're hidden, but yes, there's yeah. copper all over the place. Right, and, and we we do have a wireless network, but that's not how we run uh, the vast majority of our devices. We've got some laptops throughout the district, but. Uh, we the like to go have, wired. The kids have email accounts? Yes, they do. Okay. So, and I guess you, you probably have some parents that have computers at home, but maybe not most of them. Um, our best estimates, and it's, it's hard to gauge that sort of thing, is about 40% of our kids have some level of technology at home, uh, and about uh, 25 to 30 of them actually have Internet access uh, and, and of those, about 15% are broadband. There's still a lot of dial-up, and a lot of people just don't have anything in this area. We're very rural. We're very poor. Uh, and so uh, school so, school is where they get their technology. And, and so, so the digital divide runs through your shop. 
Definitely, which is why I want to provide the best technology experience they can get once they get here, mm-hmm. and and we have we open doors early and close them late, and and we encourage people to hang around here, and and you know we do have Wi-Fi, uh, we we have kids. Uh, I've seen it often. They'll pull up into the parking lot with their laptops in their car uh, to download something because they don't have an internet access at home. Well, uh, and let's let's further detail that we allow those devices on our network, which a lot of tech directors won't do. Allow and encourage. Yeah, bring your own tech. We're fine with that. So you guys are like Starbucks. Uh, we try to be as much as possible. Right. Yeah. Um, like and it's some decent coffee, right. but it, but it's 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 their network. They're the taxpayers. They paid for it exactly. Yeah. I, I'm just that's, their servant in charge of it, and that's it. It's not mine. But uh, I, I am uh, back to the uh, the portable okay. devices, Doctor Green. I'm I'm curious. Uh, I want to flip that question back around to you, and you know, what's your perspective on that? And uh, uh, you know, do, what value do you see currently? Do you see in the future? Uh, with handhelds in the classroom, right? Yes. Well, I've uh, I've read some research about how they're using handhelds in really poor places, like you know Africa and Mexico, where you can actually take a, it's called a school, you know, like a school in a box sort of thing, where right. you can bring something in that the kid can uh, use at kindergarten age to start learning how to read. And uh, you know, this is in place where they don't have enough teachers to go around. So I think there's a lot of promise for it, and I I would hope that. There's people out there researching it, and it sounds like, I mean, you, you guys ought to be doing some, you know, I suspect you're doing some research yourself. Uh, I, it'd be nice if you could publish some of what you're seeing, because it sounds like you're on the, the leading slash bleeding edge of things. Uh, I like to say we're too busy doing to, to, to tout what we're doing. You know, yeah. we, don't, we don't have time to publish. We're actually working. Right. Well, and that that gets back to though is that I don't think we see our uh we don't really see our positions as as that. You know, we're right. we're the servants uh and even when it comes to using handhelds, you know, we'd be all for that uh so long as a professional educator can come to us and show us well, the value in it. You know, bring in some researchers. You got any colleges nearby? Uh, a couple. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, set up. You know, it may not be your your particular task, but right. you know, the district should invite people in to to study. You know, what's going on, and you, you could. You know, help support that, and that's partly why a couple of months ago we started this podcast. Is uh, you know we 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 think that we have a, a pretty good way of uh, novel way of looking at things, and we wanted to sort of spread the word. That's what the Taiwan Tech is all about. It's doing more with less, and that's you know what I've done my entire career, and what I see too little of uh, in the education community. And and hopefully we can uh, get more people to understand the mindset of doing more with less. It's not it's not doing more with more. It's not doing less with more. It's it's doing more and spending less because there are ways to do it. You just have to to work a little harder. Yeah, get the kids involved. In your, in, <laughs> back in the eighties, when uh, AOL first came into existence, and this was back when Apple used to own it before it became you know uh, before they got rid of it. We we were connecting with other schools, and we were having kids across you know from our our schools and other places in the country communicate with each other. And what we found out then was that, like, when a kid was putting his copy out there for someone else, somewhere else in the world to read, they were mer- very, way more careful about what they wrote and, and the quality of their own work. Absolutely. We, we encourage student blogging for that same reason. When there is an yeah. audience, the writing changes. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. It, give, are there any teachers doing yeah, – teacher blogging is hard because they, they've got so much to do. Right. Running a blog on top of, it, of everything else you expect is 
it's not a great idea because that's just going to detract from their, their focus on the kids and the teaching. I mean, some of them do it. Don't get me wrong, but right. the, it would be the rare individual that can pull that off. Well, Dr. Green, we've had you here almost 45 minutes, and I want to be respectful of your time. So I'll just ask you, uh, do you have one final thought or, or uh, summary that you'd like to leave our listeners with? You know, well, I think part of what got me interested in, in this concept is that, you know, I'm, I'm 63. So, I mean, I, I retired a few years ago because my wife was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. But there's a bunch of guys and in, in girls in my age group that, that sort of like, came through this path the, the way I did, where they developed the kingdom and they were responsible for everything. And now that these folks are, are heading out, I think it's time for districts to rethink how they do this stuff. And, it, you know, it's going to depend on the size of the district, the resources available from local service agencies, the talent you've got. Uh, there's endless ways to do it. And I just don't want people to think, oh, you know, Mr. So-and-so is retiring, therefore we have to replace him. Uh, everybody's irreplaceable. As de Gaulle said, uh, you know, graveyards are filled with indispensable men. <laughs> so when, when my generation checks out, I think it's time to rethink how this whole thing is done. And, you know, the, the answer is going to be different for every district. And if they've guys, got guys like you, well, they're, they're in business. <laughs> well, and I think that's a great summation and, and that hopefully will satisfy our listeners, uh, at least, uh, the ones here in Texas that we're, we're freaking out about it. And, uh, uh, is just that it's not a question of whether there should be tech directors at all. It's really rethink how you're doing things. Yeah. And how you do it might depend on your incentives. Like I say here in New York state, uh, states get extra aid if they go through the regional consortiums. I'm not sure what the deal is everywhere else, but you know, that's, Part of doing more with less would making sure you leverage whatever benefits you get from those situations. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dr. Green, thank you. It's been a, a pleasure getting to know you and it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for your time. And uh, absolutely. What a, what a brain to pick. Wow. Hey, keep up the good work and, and welcome to my network. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, have a, have a great Talks. afternoon. What a generally great guy to talk to. Yeah. It was very pleasant. Right. Um, I was kind of uh, fearing that uh, there might be some antagonism uh, on his part or that I might lose my cool, but there was no cool to lose. He, uh, he was very reasonable, very intelligent, and uh, um, I'm, I'm honored to be walking in the footsteps of men like that. And, and you know, and, and that's what I said earlier. Uh, I'm the next generation, and, and really there's another generation coming after me, and, and hopefully I can be the intermediary between these pioneers and these people who will invent the future. And... Um, um, He's he's one of the guys who started the whole thing. I mean, when he talks about uh, you know connecting cables, I, I picture him with an RS two thirty two serial cable hooking two Macs up and 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 typing a command line, you know, and and because there was no internet to connect anything to at the time, so that's uh, uh, he grew up with these things, and and him and those like him um, handed down. Uh, their networks, their kingdoms to people like me are in the process of doing it. There are a lot of people out there who are, uh, to use, uh, a crude phrase, aging out and, and, um, they're handing it down to, to me and to people even younger than me. And, uh, so yeah, change your thinking. I, I think that, uh, couldn't possibly be a better, uh, uh, um, mantra, you know, every day, look at, rethink, uh, reassess, uh, and, and don't ever get stale. And I, I kind of, you know, just in reading, uh, his blog post, 
uh, I kind of thought that's where we might end up, and uh, I wanted to make sure that we did uh, at least have a clear-cut uh, kind of defining moment there at the end. Uh, obviously, we uh, had a lot of people on the on our listserv that were uh, had a bunch of questions, and uh, so I hope we at least arrived at, at a good, clean uh, kind of summation of the whole deal, and uh, uh, that everybody walks away with that, you know, kind of clearly in mind. Uh, you know, and that makes sense. And, and, you know, that's, that's just how you do business. That's how you run an organization is you, you have to always be open to looking at how you're doing things and, uh, and changing it, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Green was a pleasure to have on. Great guy to, to talk to. All right. And so, uh, we'll, we'll move from there into our, our regular, uh, uh, tips of the week. And, um, uh, I'm pretty sure Sean's not prepared, so while I go, he's going to go look up and, and find a, a teacher tip of the week. I see. Oh, okay, I see. Well, okay. maybe we could edit my dead space out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a tool I'm going to talk about is is one that I used uh, several times just today, and, and the, uh, I use it throughout uh, uh, the year, but particularly in the summer when we're uh, dealing with the managers. It's a tool called Active User Manager. And the domain, uh, the URL is ridiculously long, so I'll just say uh, look in the show notes for the link to it. But it's an Active User Manager for Active Directory. So if you're out there uh, and you run an Active Directory domain, uh, you know it can be a real pain uh, to manage users and, and organizational units and, and things like that. An active user manager is a very simple, um, wizard interface that installs on any, uh, Windows XP or, or Vista or 7 machine and, and makes that a very simple process. You can create templates that, uh, that you do. And, and so, uh, we use that to allow our, um, uh, lower technologically skilled staff, our secretaries and our principals, to create accounts and to manipulate accounts uh, without fear of them, uh, you know, getting into the management console on the server itself and 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 locking you, you know, out. A simple misclick causing issues. Uh, so it's called Active User Manager. It's a, a tool that used to require uh, an activation code. Um, it's now free, but it still requires an activation code, so you have to go through a couple of steps to get the free activation code. But when you download it and it says you have 30 days to register or whatever, well, that's true, but the registration is free. They, he's changed his model of it. So um, uh, it's been around for a while, uh, so may, uh, maybe a lot of you have heard of it, but uh, it's called Active User Manager. And, uh, again, just look in the show notes for the link uh, at, at our website at thetightwadtech.com. Uh, because it's uh, a ridiculously long URL. And so I think I've vamped long enough now, and uh, Sean will seem prepared. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going to jump in just to the to the top of my list, and that's uh, SM Player. Uh, oh, that's a great one. Right. And, and uh, SM Player is just a, a very uh, simple media player uh, that you can, again, get for free. And uh, I'm looking for that. It's... If I, it's uh, SM Player, so Sam Mike, uh, smplayer.sourceforge.net. And uh, great media player, uh, plays just about everything. Uh, we we threw a, a ton of formats and everything at it and seemed to open everything. And uh, so it's something we put on the image, uh, or we are putting actively right now on the, on the image this summer. Uh, so uh everybody has something on there that hopefully we'll be able to play any files that they get uh, we've run into that with the past and particularly uh when uh what is it windows 
media Windows player. Windows Media Player doesn't play DVDs on uh, on anything by itself. It doesn't have those codecs built in. I honestly think it doesn't play more than it plays. So uh, th- this was our fix, SM Player. We, we throw it out there, and uh, we've had similar things along the way. But uh, this one's nice. It, it it's It's clean. But it's still kind of pretty, so the user's going to like it. It's intuitive, uh, very easy to use, and uh, best of all, it's free. Yeah, one of the uh, tools that we'd used prior to that is uh, uh, one called Media Player Classic. Um, look that up. That's a little uh, a bonus tip. It is a single executable file. There's no installation. There's right, no right. Carry it around on uh, a pen drive. Right, and it uh, it plays just about anything. But it's a, a very Spartan interface. It's uh, akin to the old uh, Windows Media Player, like version five, uh, hence the name Media Player Classic. Uh, and so, but that's how we did. Uh, you know, rather than paying for uh, the uh, expensive uh, software to play DVDs, uh, we use that. And SM Player uh, uses the uh, the. I think it's FFmpeg backend. Uh, you Linux guys out there will 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 recognize that name, uh, and uh, uh, it it'll transcode just about anything. It just works. Uh, you put right. it in. It's a it's a nice interface. It's a pretty interface. Um, it's it's pretty limited in some of the things like. Um, uh, making uh, uh, playlists and things like that, but you know we're not talking iTunes here. We're talking about a general purpose workhorse uh, media player, and, right. and for that, it's really outstanding. Yeah, hey, I've got this DVD or this file I need to play. Uh, open it in that, and it's it's probably going to work. If you're if you're familiar with VLC, which is just really good. Uh, um, uh, Media player, uh, it's it it's as versatile as VLC and uses some of the same backends, but it's a prettier interface. VLC is a very Spartan and and generally unattractive interface. Right, and, and this, more and more nowadays we know uh, it's all about the pretty. Right, and this gives you a uh, um, sort of a, 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 a best of both worlds. Right. So uh, so that's it. Teacher tip of the week: uh, smplayer.sourceforge.net. Go there and grab it. All right. And, I, think uh, that's, uh, I think that's it for this week. I guess that wraps us up. Uh, uh, it's been a great episode, and uh, and we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks uh, or, or maybe sooner if we if we have a .5 episode. And, uh, right. And it, yeah, because it's, it's not often that we want to ramble on about something. <laughs> <laughs> Only every day or so. Right. <laughs> if we recorded all the rants that we had, we would have like point zero one and point zero two and point zero three episodes. Yeah, how many times have we done that? We're ranting on and on. Go, we should stop talking yeah, and, and get the and recording. Record go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, great week, great episode. So, everybody, I hope your yeah. summer is well underway, ex- unless you're down in the the southern hemisphere, and then I hope you're staying warm. Uh, but for those of us in in North America uh, and in Great Britain and all those places, it's it's hot, and and we're on our summer breaks. And uh, and for the teachers out there, that means a well deserved rest. And for the guys like us, that means uh, you're in high gear, working like crazy. All right, busy season. Uh, so uh, we thank you for tuning in. And again, as always, we uh, welcome and we covet and we, we, we beg and we plead for your feedback. So uh, go to thetightwadtech.com. Leave us some feedback there in the comment section on, on the blog that goes with each show. And I would even say if uh, if they've got some feedback for Dr. Green in that area, I'm sure that uh, if something comes across there uh, directed at Dr. Green, 
uh, I can probably uh, talk him into uh, responding to that. Yeah, we can certainly uh, uh, pass that on. We're still getting feedback on our fog episode. Uh, we had a question come in just today, uh, so uh, that's great. Uh, it's it's still trickling out there. There's a bit of a long tail on that one. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, do uh, do come back and and this is my plead out there for anybody out there who's on Facebook. Please go to our website, link to Facebook, and friend us or like us or whatever it is this week, uh, because we need to get to a hundred friends who like us to be able to get that vanity url right and and right now we're well short of that so uh, uh even if you don't like us that much just click the like button and say you do sure. so that we can get that vanity url <laughs> all right all right and so uh for now this is mark signing off and sean signing off